0: We are continuing in, uh, in our series on the book of James, and to kind of help get us started this morning, i want to tell you a little story. So when I was growing up, we had this neighbor kid, and we kind of would joke about him in our family because he drove us crazy. Every time th- he was playing with, you know, with, oh, with us, my daddy did this, my daddy did that, my daddy, it was all about this kid's dad. He would just go on and on and on. He was, my daddy did this, my daddy did that. And it was like, his dad was cool and all, but well, it wasn't all that. Um, but now, all these years later, I'm a dad, and I could think of no greater joy, nothing makes me happier than when my boy, I see my boys imitating me, well, the good stuff that I do. When I see them imitating like the not-so-good stuff, I'm like, don't do that. Um, and so, you know, it made me kind of, sometimes, like the not-so-good stuff, I don't know how you feel about this, but... Um, when we used to, when I was the youth pastor here, uh, when we would get ready to go on summer trips, the, the male leaders would get Mohawks. Um, so that was my last Mohawk, and that was my son Jake's first Mohawk. <laughs> I don't, I can't do that anymore. I don't have a, um, or, you know, stuff that's better for you. When I first started CrossFitting, it was in the backyard, right? So I would get warmed up and I would do these workouts and I would modify them for the boys so they could, they can do them with me. Nothing would bring me greater joy than to see my boys imitating the good stuff that I do. Our life with Jesus should be very much the same way. There is not an area of life, you could pick a discipline, an area, a concentration that Jesus was not, when he walked this earth, an expert in, is not now an expert in. Every area of our lives, we should try to imitate Jesus in the way that he handled those things. Because... What we're looking to do here at Crossroads, we wanna be a place where people come to know and grow in Jesus and do that in such a way that others are drawn to him. And I can think of no trait, no habit, no behavior that would draw people more than generosity. And that's because generosity not only reflects God's character, but it grows our character. Generosity is something that is like nothing else in terms of um, the model it it draws to Jesus and how he lived and what it can do in us when we agree with, when we go along with the work that God is trying to, to do in us and through us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at um, the next part of James. We're in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and it's... James is kind of like in this, this section where he's calling people out on some, on some bad behaviors. And it's interesting because this portion of the letter of James is actually directed at some folks that are outside the church. Um, they're wealthy businessmen, landowners. And James is kind of calling them to task on the way they handle their money and the way they treat the people that work for them. And at least as I was reading this and I, I was you know, learning that it was addressed to these people outside. Well, why would James include that in this letter to, to a church? And it suggests that it's for a couple reasons, but it's primarily so that those faithful within the community who were kind of suffering at the hands of these, these wealthy guys who were a little bit underhanded in their dealings would feel supported and encouraged and know that the God of the universe is for them and that those who struggle financially, Um, those who are having a hard time making ends meet, they actually have a special place in God's heart, and therefore they should have a special place in our heart. So we're um, going to jump in here, and we're going to read these first six verses. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mold your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So James isn't pulling any punches. He's just calling these guys out and he's um, letting them know that there are consequences to this kind of behavior. Before we dig any further into these um, specific verses, I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page, depending on your church background or where you come from or maybe you're just like checking Jesus out and trying to figure out what these things are. Kind of three underlying um, assumptions, I guess. One is that you and I and everybody in this room was created in the image of God. Genesis 126, um, man and woman were created in the image of God. Number two, the God of the universe is generous. Number three, we are called, for those of us who choose to follow Jesus, are called to, in ever-increasing measures, resemble him, to look more like him. John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. Right, as we walk the road of faith with Jesus, we want to look and act and think and do more and more like Him and leave kind of our old, ways, our old ways behind. We were created by God, we were created in His image. His image is one of generosity and that we're supposed to increasingly grow in His image. Okay, got those? So as I was looking at these verses, they were kind of, um, we're gonna look at two of them and use them as the, uh, a vehicle to look at the dichotomy of greed and generosity. And the the first one is your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So the word corrosion, a couple of things. He says your gold and silver are gonna corrode. Gold and silver don't corrode, right? That's why they're so valuable. What, What that's telling us is that The people that James is addressing have held on. They've like grabbed this money. They're sitting on this money and not doing anything with it. It's collecting dust that in God's eyes, the intarnishable or untarnishable, intarnishable has become tarnished. That's how, that's how much stuff, how many resources these guys have. And they're not doing anything with them. The other interesting thing about the word corrosion and the original language that this was written, it kind of has a double meaning, right? The damage that can do to metals. The other meaning is poison. And as you look at these verses in their entirety, James is calling out the attitude or behavior of greed. Greed is poison. If we think about what greed is, Greed greed says a couple of different things. Greed says that there's a finite amount of stuff, of resources, of money in the universe. And that in order for me to have more, I have to take it from you. Greed says that more is never enough. No matter how much I have, it's still not gonna be enough. There's still gonna be something eating at me that needs more. And, And the last thing that greed says is that I'm entitled to more regardless of who you are or whatever, I'm entitled to more. So greed is just insidious and the, the, the concept of greed, it will, do, it will do a couple of different things to us. If there are a finite amount of resources in the world and we're kind of on our own to go after those resources, it pits us against one another. If I need more, if I want more, I'm gonna to have to take it from you. Completely the opposite, completely antithetical of all of scripture. Instead of loving others, it has us competing with others. It has us doing whatever we can to take from others. So it's like this unhealthy, this unhealthy competition. Greed is also this, this tremendous um, source of stress. Right Again, assuming that there's a limited amount of resources and that I'm all on my own, there's nobody looking out for me, that I have, to, I have to do whatever I have to do to make sure I am financially secure. What is financially secure? How much is enough? Enough, it's never enough. I don't know if it's number one or number two, the causes of stress, especially within marriages, money finances. This need for more, this desire for more is, um, is unbelievable what it can do to us. It can also create in us this sense of bitterness, right? If greed says I'm owed more and I'm not getting it, that can be really upsetting. Somebody owes me. I don't know who, but somebody owes me and I'm not getting mine. And that can just eat at us. And the stress and the bitterness, that can lead us to do things that we wouldn't do. Right? So the guys that James is writing to in this verse, they, um, they did a couple of things. They cheated the people out of their wages. right? So they basically stole from people. They hoarded wealth. All that stuff they had. They didn't need it. They weren't using it. They weren't spending it. It was just sitting there in a pile, and other people needed it. They lived self-indulgent lifestyles. They had crazy amounts of stuff, right? Gold-plated toothbrushes, whatever, whatever sort of um, just ridiculous luxury or extravagance. And then their greed was actually physically harming people. The, the folks who were working for them depended on their living paycheck to paycheck, just like many of us do. And people were dying as a result of the greed that these guys were holding over people. So greed is a poison. What we can, what we can take from this is, as we look at the, um, the, next, the next verse, is the polar opposite of greed is not, is not poverty, but it's generosity. And I'm using the latter part of verse 5-4 kind of as a springboard to, to fill out this conversation that we're going to have about, about generosity. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So the harvesters, they were day laborers. They would go into the marketplace and they would sit and hope that somebody would come and hire them to work for the day knowing full well that they might not get paid because of who these guys were and the way they cheated their workers. But if they had any hope of making some money for their family, providing for their family, they had to show up and risk working a full day and not, and not getting paid. And they did it anyway. So James includes this verse in there because he wants those folks to know that the God of the universe hears their cries, that he cares about their plight. And what's really cool is that phrase, the Lord Almighty, in some translations it says the Lord of hosts. And that phrase, Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, is a depiction of God at the front of the angel armies of heaven. Legions and legions of angels. So God intervenes in the plight of the poor in two different ways. The first is ultimately and supernaturally, God and the angels will bless those who are struggling who are in a tough financial situation because of things that other people have done to them, whether it's circumstantial or, um, or just flat-out theft. And ultimately, Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation that he's going to right every wrong. Right? So James wants these people to be encouraged to know that the God of the universe, the Lord Almighty, the commander-in-chief of the heavenly armies, has their back, and he's going to take care of everything. The other way that the God of the universe provides for those in need is through other people, is through you and through me, through generosity. Biblically, the idea of generosity kind of unfolds in in a couple of different ways. Um, First and foremost, we see people giving to those in need, those who don't have. Second, we see um, generosity being expressed for the effort of the increase in the expanse of the gospel and finally we see generosity being expressed to people like Paul and Peter who were the messengers who were carrying the gospel who were working for the gospel generosity in the in the bible so let's take a let's think about and I should mention like everything i'm saying is coming right from the pages of scripture there, like, there's so many verses that back this up. The Bible has so much to say about generosity and greed. And crossroadct.info slash messages, you go into the James stuff, all the verses are right in there. You can click on the link. It will take you to Bible Gateway with the page of all the verses on it. Um, so please do that. Generosity, right? As we, we think about generosity, especially in the pages of, uh, of the New Testament, Generosity is, first and foremost, sacrificial. You do not have to have a lot to be generous. Right, we think about Jesus' example. Jesus was not wealthy in terms of finances, but Jesus was ultimately generous because he gave everything. We think about the example of the early churches and the apostles that um, they didn't have a lot, they left their jobs behind. They left their jobs behind for the cause of the gospel. And they were together as a community. And if people had need, they would sell stuff so that those who had need, those needs would be taken care of. Jesus tells a story about a woman who is in the, in the temple and she's giving her offering. And she gives two small coins, pennies. And Jesus says, you see that? She gave everything she had This guy over here who put in 100 times that, her gift is way more valuable. She's way more generous. You don't have to have a lot to be generous. Biblical generosity is about sacrifice. Biblical generosity is about giving with a joyful heart. There's uh, some verses in 2 Corinthians that says, please do not give reluctantly or begrudgingly, but give what God has put on your heart Give with a joyful heart. Gail and I were talking this week about some of the stuff on the news and um, Michael Cohen's uh, testimony and stuff. And he made a statement. Um, he said, uh, "And whatever, I'm not pro-Trump. I'm not anti-Trump. I'm just this." Gail shared this phrase with me that Cohen's, and it just stuck with me. He said, "Mr. Trump did generous things, but he's not a generous person." Right? We can. We can do, we can perform acts of generosity without being generous. If our heart is not joyful, if we're not excited about the ability to give a gift, okay, you, you gave, you, you, that's fine. But true generosity, generosity that's modeled after Jesus, generosity that will draw other people to Jesus is done joyfully. God puts something on your heart and you're like, thank you, Jesus, for prompting me, here it is. Biblical generosity should be sacrificial, should be joyful, and we should do it confidently. God has given us everything, right? Even the the ability to generate wealth. I think it's Deuteronomy 8.18. Even that ability is a gift from God. Going back to that same passage in 2 Corinthians, if God prompts us to give something, He's going to give us the ability to do that, right? Whether it's on the back end, we give that gift, and then God fills that, or if it's on the front and he's like, here, I'm giving you this, but I want you to give it away. We can and we should be generous confidently because the God of the universe has all of the resources at his disposal that he wants to flow through us to other people. The other thing about biblical generosity is, is this, is that... Those of us who have, over and over and over and over again, Scripture tells us that we are to share with those who have not or have less. The first church, like I said earlier, they sold what they had, and they put their money in a pot, and they said, let's just let's make sure everybody's got a little bit, rather than some of us having a lot, some of us having a little And as we do those things, more and more, we resemble Jesus. So generosity here at Crossroads. We have five statements, um, our values, the things that we ask mission partners to commit to. The second one is that we would live generously. The statement reads, I will give God the best of my time, talent, energy, gifts, and the first fruits, 10% of my financial resources. It's important, right? We've made it a priority. One of the five things that we hold as, as a value, that we would be generous people, that we would live generously in a way that attracts other people to Jesus and the things of Jesus. Let me say this about the 10% number. The, the Bible, especially the New Testament, has way more to say about giving sacrificially, about giving everything that you have, about giving from your heart and about giving joyfully than it does about 10%. 10% is the Old Testament um, guideline, it's the Old Testament command, and it's affirmed by Jesus, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus affirms the concept of giving 10%. But I, I personally don't like to talk about 10% for two reasons, right? If you're just starting out on this journey of trying to explore what it means to be generous like Jesus, it can seem overwhelming. 10% of everything that I make, that's, that's a lot of money. On the other side of that, for those of us who have been trying to, trying to live like Jesus for a while, we could mistakenly view that as the end game. 10% is not the end game. Right? Our, our goal should be to give whatever it is God puts on our heart. If it's 11 percent, if it's 15 percent, if it's 20 percent, if it's 90 percent, whatever it is that God puts on our hearts to give, that's how we should give. So really practically speaking, um, these are not my thoughts. Uh, The the three Ps of, of generosity, of giving, priority, percentage, progressive uh come from a guy named andy stanley andy stanley has kind of said some goofy things recently that you may or may not agree with i don't agree with everything he says everything he teaches but i think he's right on when it comes to the stuff that he teaches um, about about giving our giving our generosity should be a priority when we sit down and we look at our finances how we give should be the first thing that comes to mind it should be the first line item on our budgets Practically speaking, it should be a percentage. And if you're just starting out, it doesn't necessarily have to be 10%, right? Art, we want our, the trajectory of our lives to be generous. 1%, 2%, whatever it is to get, to get started, but get started. And then the last part should be progressive. As we go through time, we should be asking God, what is it that you want me to give? we should be checking in with him. God, I started giving it 1%. Should I be giving more? God, I just got a bonus. God, I just got a tax return. That we would, we would check in with God on regular intervals. Set a reminder on your phone. It should be a priority. It should come off the top. It should not be a leftover. It should be a percentage. Pick a set amount so you know that's how, it's gonna, that's how it's gonna work, and it should be progressive. We should continue to look at it on an ongoing basis. So I encourage you, You know, when we were receiving our offering, to give to the work of God here at Crossroads. That's one thing um, that you can and you absolutely should do. If you call Crossroads your home, I would encourage you that um, Crossroads should be one of the first places that you look to give to the work of God. And I realized that coming out of my mouth, sounds self-serving and let me say this about that. As long as God wants Crossroads to be here, as long as God wants me in this role, um, he's gonna provide for us. I don't, um, this is is gonna sound harsh, it's not meant to sound harsh. I don't need your money, right? God God wants your money because it's attached to your heart. God wants you to be generous because it reflects his character. And the, the idea of contributing to your local community of faith, to your church, is because your church should be important to you and you want to have some, um, you want to be a part of what's going on and part, part of moving it forward. GCECUSA.org, that is Grace Community Education Center. That's the school that we partner with. Uh, that's Pastor Gehrim and his staff and the kids there that um, are clothed and and fed and kept safe and taught about Jesus because of the generosity of people here at Crossroads and a handful of other people outside of Crossroads. Bridgeport Rescue Mission is one of, our, um, one of our partners right down the street in Bridgeport that we live here in Fairfield County, which is one of the craziest places in the world because it's got one of the highest income per capita in the world and then right down the street are people who live, way too many people who live below the poverty line. And so we partner with the Bridgeport Rescue Mission not only because they provide food and addiction counseling but um, they provide resources to folks who desperately need it. And I put Compassion up there. Um, Compassion is an organization that encourages you just like we do at GCC to sponsor kids who are in areas in need. Um, our little girl Elda is in Guatemala and we've been sponsoring her for four years and she sends us letters and communicates with us and it's a great it's just a great way to give to the work of God. All right. So where are we? Um, Money is like a funny thing, right? Nobody wants to talk about money and church. Um, Nobody wants the pastor to ask for them for money at church. Please, please, please hear me in this. I am not asking for anything from you. This has more to do about how God designed you and what I want for you. I want you to live life to the full. I want you to experience life abundantly. The life that God had planned for you. And generosity is a key piece of that. Um, I'm gonna ask the band to come back up here as as I'm wrapping up. I want you to experience the joy of giving somebody a gift. I want you to know what it's it's like to be able to draw somebody to Jesus, that somebody else might experience the love of Jesus through your generosity. I want you to experience the blessings of generosity. Right? God, Jesus tells us that we should store up for ourselves treasure in heaven, And the way that we do that is by being generous. There are blessings that come with generosity that I want you to experience. That outside of generosity, they will not happen. I want each of us, I want each person in this room to move from a mindset of of fear and scarcity to one of joy and abundance. And that move is possible because who God is and the things that he promises. And the Bible tells us that every promise of God in Jesus is yes and amen. I want that for you. I want you to be able to make that move. I want you to experience those blessings and that joy. And in so doing, we acknowledge Jesus' example of generosity and we reflect it in ourselves generosity reflects the character of God and it grows our character. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the example that you set for us. We thank you for the gift of your word that tells us how dangerous greed is and how it can eat at us and destroy us like a poison. We thank you for your word that reminds us that generosity um, is what you call us to. It's the example that you set and it's what you have for us. Lord Jesus, may may we be the kind of people who live generously, who live for others. God, when you bless us, that we would just be a conduit, that we would be a funnel, that those blessings would flow through to other people who are in need. That we would give to the advance of the gospel and that we would give to those who work at the advance of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the resources of the universe are yours and at your disposal, and that you would choose to share those with us. We don't give to pay you back. We could never pay you back. We owe far too great a debt. We give because you gave first. We give to honor you, we give to imitate you, we give so that other people might be drawn to you and experience you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you.